0: Reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: I'd like to point out uh, a, a few points within that reading uh, before getting into uh, what I'd like to really focus on in that reading. Uh, one of those, those things is that we must uh, work the works of him who sent me while it is day. While it is day, what would that mean, by the way? Uh, would be that there is a looming death for him. The night of death is coming for Jesus Christ. And uh, he is saying, "We need to work right now. We've got work to do, um, but also us. Let us be busy doing the work that the Lord has put before us while it is day for us, before the night of death, and we awaken into eternal life." Uh, there is a dark and an evil world that we live in. We have light and life, and we should just let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. I think of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, that says, we should be making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And I believe that's what uh, is meant there with, we must work while it is day. Uh, but also, I do agree with a commenter on this passage, a preacher on this passage, that does also think it, this story did happen during the daytime, Because, man, it would be a a little anticlimactic or a little off in some ways if Jesus uh, restored the sight of of a blind man during the nighttime and he can't see all the beautiful things in front of him. So I think this probably did happen during the daytime as well. And then getting to the idea of why the spit and why the dirt? Why did he make mud to heal this blind man in that way? I don't know. I, I really don't know exactly. Uh, you know, we maybe guess, but this is similar to other healings that Jesus did in the Gospels. If you look in Mark chapter 7, the healing of the deaf man, you would read that, and taking him aside, the, the deaf man, uh, from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. I don't know. Um, uh, for some reason, Jesus decided to do it that way. Um, There are guesses as to why. Some uh, commenters, I guess, have made some guesses as to the idea that uh, maybe it was to put mud on his eyes to make him even more blind, to make the the miracle even more impressive. Uh, Or maybe it was like, I don't know, maybe some special mud, you know, maybe Jesus got some special Dead Sea mud, you know, that had healing salve stuff because maybe Jesus' powers weren't strong enough on their own to heal the blind man or something like that. Um, I I think probably uh, one of the better ideas the image is is possibly a hearkening back to the new creation or to the creation itself in Genesis chapter 2, making man out of dirt. But I don't know. And we don't need to know all of those answers uh, to, to be able to be blessed by God uh, from a passage like that. And we can certainly understand the big ideas here that Jesus is, is getting at uh, that he wants us to understand from John chapter 9 and uh the the text of today's sermon is actually all of the Gospel of John, but uh to be nice to Glenn, I did not make him read the entirety of the chapter so uh thank you for for reading and uh but he ends up uh and and I'm not going to read the entirety of the chapter but i I don't want to miss the whole meta narrative the whole bigger story that's going on in John chapter nine here um there is uh, there's very much going on here with the the Pharisees, um, who are not able to really see well. These Pharisees, they're they're the blind ones. We shouldn't miss this. There's this very strong rebuke to the Pharisees. They're saying we are the ones who see. We are the ones who understand rightly. And and in many ways, Jesus is not. Um, uh, he's not like hoping to maybe convert a few of them. Really, in many ways, he's actually just speaking more and more just to condemn them more and more, right? Jesus' word never returns to him void. It either is sweetness to those who are being saved or condemnation to those who are perishing. And in many ways, that's a lot about what's happening here. And he is condemning these Pharisees in many ways in this passage. And uh, he, there's very much this idea of, of uh, spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. And and so we shouldn't miss that as we're kind of going through the whole gospel of John. And this comes up more and more. It continues to come up throughout John, and we've already seen it. Um, But also, too, uh, you know, it's just fascinating. The the Pharisees, uh, they're like, you know, how how did this all happen? What happened? And they're, they're like, I don't know, like, and who did this? I don't know, this, this guy, he just, he did this, he said this, and I, 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 I used to not be able to see, and, and now I can. And we're like, we don't believe you, and like, tell us more, and they're like, I don't know, I just, I used to just not be able to see, and now I can just see. And they just couldn't, under, they couldn't accept his extremely simple testimony, He ends up getting a little snarky with them. It's like, you guys should be able to understand. You don't know what's going on here. That's impressive, actually. Um, But uh, he's just... The thing is, is that he didn't play along with their narrative. He didn't play along with their narrative, and they canceled him. Cancel culture is nothing new. It was going on back here as well. And this is perfect cancel culture. Because, you know, cancel culture says, hey... I can have my opinion, and you better have my opinion, if you know what I mean. And if you don't have my opinion and also promote my opinion, then I'm going to cancel you. That is exactly what they did in this passage. If you read the whole passage, they they are like, you need to be talking down on Jesus, but you're only talking this guy up. And, And because you don't, we will cancel you. That's exactly what they did. They threw him out. They excluded him from the synagogue. Now, that's just not like, hey, your Sunday morning worship time is just canceled now. This is economics. This is social life. This is everything that this guy could have hoped to have. And especially now, he could have even enjoyed it even more now with sight. And he doesn't get to go and see synagogue and be in it in that way. And they canceled him. And it's not right. And then we read at the end of the chapter, Jesus heard. So I'll just go to verse 34. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, because he was getting a little, and they cast him out, out of the synagogue. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard, him, heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have had no guilt. But now that you say, we can see, well, your guilt remains. Imagine, imagine being this blind man, right? You, you're blind your entire life. You've never seen anything, you know? And, and you know you're missing out on much of life because of what you've been told. But because of not actually having seen the world around you, you don't fully know actually what you're missing out on. And begging is basically all that you've ever known. That's your job. Because you weren't easy on your parents. Due to your condition, you required lots of extra care from your parents. But they also needed money to feed you. So you have a full-time job. Begging for food, for money. You're a beggar. Every day is pretty much the same thing, except during the holy days where there's extra traffic going on from religious Jews coming to Jerusalem and to the temple. And then you're just sitting there one day. You're just sitting there begging and some people come by. You hold out your hands to hopefully accept some alms, a gift for the poor and the needy like yourself. And you hear... One of these people, obviously talking about you. And this guy says something that sounds quite frank and rude, and it makes you into some sort of an example theological question. Conversation piece. And the guy asked this question, he says, he asked the question to someone who seems like the leader or the teacher type of person, and uh, that, if, why are you blind? Is, are you, he asks his teacher, are you blind because of your sin or your parents' sin? This is just happening right in front of you. It's kind of weird, really. Imagine that, just being talked about like that. And it cuts deep because you've asked that question many times of yourself. Your parents have taken great care of you, but sometimes you do wonder, was it actually their fault? why I have to deal with this. You've wondered that very question, and you've had lots of time to think about it, just sitting there. Imagine a person who sits there that much, and how much time you could just sit there. It's kind of like the homeless people of more like uh, 10 years ago, not as much today, because they, a lot of times they do have now phones and stuff like that, and so they can busy themselves. But before, uh, they, they didn't have that. And many homeless today don't have that. But I don't know if you've ever talked to some homeless people, but they're actually quite thoughtful very thoughtful because they have a lot of time to think. And this guy's had lots of time to think about these huge questions of life. I mean, this is, this is before smartphones, where you just sit there a long time. I mean, we do this all day long, sometimes, except we're not thinking thoughtful thoughts. We're just getting dopamine hits of, oh, that's really interesting. Oh, wow, they can do that. Interesting. No, he's just thinking and thinking and thinking. And lots of thoughts. Of, Why am I blind? Was it my fault? Is it my parents' fault? can't be my fault. I mean, I, I was blind before I could even commit a sin. Must have been something bad that my parents did. And not that you really wanted to hear the answer from the teacher who was asked, but you didn't really have any other option. You're just sitting there. But then you hear something completely different. The teacher says it's not your fault. Or your parents' fault, but rather for God's work to be displayed in you. (laughs) Wow. God's work to be displayed in you. Think about that. It seemed more like God had forsaken you. Your whole life, you're a God-forsaken blind man. But this is something completely different, and you're not really sure what to think about it. And then this guy has the audacity to make some mud from spit and the dirt at your feet and then smear it on your eyes. I mean, this is some crazy stuff. (laughs) You've been been spit on before, but you've never had this happen to you before. It was disgusting, but for some reason, it didn't feel disgusting. Disgusting and it also didn't feel abusive or disrespectful at all. There was a spirit about it that all seemed as warm as the mud that was being placed on your eyes. The teacher made a mess of your eyes and then told you to go and clean it off, but on a certain place, the Pool of salom, And for some reason, you don't really know why, you didn't push back or kick back. You just did. You had the desire to listen. And you just trusted and obeyed. Something moved you to just trust and obey. And you did it. And you got on your knees beside the water of Siloam. And as you cupped your hands with water and began washing away the now dried and crusty mud that was caked on your eyes, The mud softens, washes away. And then you experience this feeling like you've never had before and something bright and then images begin to be seen. This must be what everyone else has been able to see before. This is fascinating. I mean, when I read the scriptures, I like to try to just place myself in the place of these people and just try to think, what are they thinking? What would be going through their minds and in their hearts? This whole question about why was he blind? Again, there were so many debates on, you know, whether or not sin caused this man's problem. Ultimately, the answer is yes. All things not being the way that they ought to be, all the problems that we have and experience and why mosquito bites sting and people hurt each other, wars happen, all this stuff, is ultimately, yes, because of sin, because of living in a fallen world. That's why it's like the way it is. But there's these Old Testament passages to say maybe that sin follows to the third and the fourth generation. You shall not bow down to them, the idols, in the seventh commandment in uh, Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, these idols, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. I agree with those like MacArthur who do not relate this to a generational cursing type of thing, but more that it takes often years, generations, generations to right the ship of significant problems. Significant problems take a while to get rid of. I think of the significant problem of of this self-focused society that we're in and the seeds of self-esteem were sowed generations ago. And we're still feeling the problem of it. Self-esteem is a man-made theology from from theologians that don't have Scripture to guide that theology. Please go look it up. If you're a believer in self-esteem theology, challenge that against this. It doesn't lead us in a good spot. And And we're reaping the whirlwind from such bad theology today. And it takes generations and years to correct things like that. I think to see those things play out, I think self-esteem theology has played out quite well. In Hollywood, California, I've been there, walked those streets, and man, all these people trying to seek the self. And it's not playing out well. It takes a while for these things to get corrected. I also think of the punishment of the carried off into exile. The sin of their forefathers had long-term implications for the generations that followed. You know, this generational aspect, I think more it's the, it's the implications, it's the effects of, the, of that which caused, it, caused the problem that get felt for so long. Uh, but I also think of Job. His friends thought that Job must have done something wrong in order to have all of those problems. And sometimes when you do things that are wrong, you get those problems. That wasn't the case for Job. Fact is, is it's actually just really hard to pin down why bad things happen to not so bad a people. Because by the way, none of us are good, right? Why are the bad things happening? It's hard to pin those things down. And, and we, can, we can really go down bad paths, wrong paths, to try to put a finger on it. And Jesus doesn't negate the possibility of sinful behavior resulting in even physical problems. After, uh, in John chapter 5, we were just in it, uh, not too many Sundays ago. Afterward, Jesus found him, the lame man who had been healed, in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. That might have been about the physical aspect, but I think it was pointed out here. I pointed it out in my sermon as well. Um, But what's worse, by the way, than being lame for your whole life? For like 40 years, I think it was lame. What's worse than that? Well, I can tell you. Eternal death? Hell? Damnation forever? Right? Right? And, and, and this is the thing that we see in, in John so many times is that so many times the people are thinking physically this stuff is what we're talking about, right? And Jesus is like, no. Jesus is like, unless a man is born, blonde, or born again, can't enter the kingdom of heaven, and Nicodemus, the Pharaoh can't see very well, is like, I don't know, how do I, go, do I go up into my mother's womb again? And like, what are you talking? Jesus is like, no, this is a spiritual reality. We're talking about spiritual life. We're talking about everlasting life. We're talking about eternal life. And we keep thinking about this moment. We keep thinking about this flesh. And there's something way bigger going on than this stuff. And we're just like the players in the Gospel of John. So many times we just get so focused on this stuff and your health and, and all this stuff. I, God cares about your health. He cares about your physical sight. He actually knows how many hairs fall from your head in a day. You don't even. He cares and knows more about the physicality of you. It's just that God is always making first things first, and second things second, and third things third. But I think that that highlights the important thing. What's bigger than this man being healed of his physical sight? It's the end of the chapter. I mean... It's just listen to this again. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He's not a believer yet. He doesn't even know. He says, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Not a believer. He now sees, though. But he does, he's still got this massive problem. A problem that was way bigger than his physical sight problem. Is that he can't see good. He, can't, he doesn't know how to... He doesn't believe in Jesus Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And then the whole point of the Gospel of John, I'm, I know David, is, Pastor David has made that point. What's the whole point of the Gospel of John? It's that you may believe. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that in believing you may have eternal life. And what happened right here? This is the whole point. This is, this is why And it comes up multiple times in John. He said, Lord, I believe and he worshipped him. And he worshipped him. That's beautiful. That's the true miracle that happened in this passage. Way, way more impressive than giving some guy some physical sight was that he got spiritual sight. But again, why, why the healing? Or why, why being born blind and being blind his whole life? I think there's a number of reasons that we could point to. But most importantly, is to bring people to faith. Ultimately, the physical healing, uh, the the physically blind ends up being cured of his spiritual blindness. And he puts faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He was blind for the glory of God. He was blind so that the works of God, and and I'm saying this really authoritatively because I'm using Jesus' words. This is God's words right here. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. He was blind so that God would display his works in him. That's why he was blind. Are we any different? Are we to be any different? You know, physically? Well, yeah, I mean, I am different. I've never been blind. I don't know. That's not my story. I don't think it's any of your stories. I think many of us have had some sight problems, right? But, um, uh, but yeah, it, it, physically, we haven't experienced this kind of blindness and this kind of healing. But spiritually, yeah, this is our story. The kind of work that God has done in us. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, we read that in John chapter 3. That's my story. I know that's so many, if not all, of your stories. The spiritual sight that we have is a pure gift of God. Makes me think of Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The thing that we should desire most and should be most thankful for in our life is the spiritual sight, which brings eternal life. If we're cured, by the way, think about this. If we're cured of our spiritual sight, you'll get your physical sight for eternity. And just to, real quick, I mean, we got to make sure that we don't uh, misunderstand some of this theology as well. That, that, the, that the only thing that matters is the spiritual self. Because actually, the physical body is actually still important. And actually, if you're an Orthodox Christian, a right-believing Christian, who professes the same faith as the Christians throughout the centuries and the millennia, we profess the Apostles' Creed, which says, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. We believe in a physical resurrection of the body. My kneecap, my left kneecap is all screwed up. I was stupid on the slopes of panorama mountain skiing tried to hit a jump it wasn't a jump it was just a it turned out it was just a tree branch that had fallen over under the snow and I, I was like trying to hit every single jump i could and because it was a tree branch it threw me and then i landed on a sharp rock and then my kneecap went like this it's a crappy knee i've gotten lots of x-rays of it it's a terrible ugly picture but that'll be fixed Oh, my physical sight, because I get to physically see the beauty, the radiance of God with a physically resurrected body. But I won't unless I am spiritually healed, spiritually born again. And so, yes, there is this primacy of our spiritual life. So we don't want to throw that other away. But when you think of all of this, you think about the posture of all of this in your life, about being on display. This, the point of your life is to be on a display. You're, what your job is, is you're a walking billboard for the glory of God, that God's works may be displayed in you. That's your, that's your job, right? That God's works may be displayed in you. When you think about that, how that might posture your life, I think about my life. Unlike the blind guy who had a dramatic sight moment, a coming to Christ moment, you know, I don't have that dramatic moment, you know, of not knowing Christ and then knowing him. I have some highlights in my spiritual journey, but my dad was a pastor. I grew up a Christian, and I don't know of a time I wasn't a Christian. But I can, if I think about it. I can imagine my life as not a Christian. I can imagine my life without Christ. I I can go down that route in my mind. It's not a good picture. But but having Christ in my life, it it helps me so much. I, I think that God is displayed in my life. I think that I'm actually able to love people rightly because of Christ in my life. I can love people who hate me. Cuz I don't get offended. Cuz who are they going to offend? They're going to offend Christ and me, not me. By the way, that's a direct attack on self-esteem theology, just so you know. Landed a bomb there. We could dive into that. I don't I don't need to defend myself. I can just defend truth. I can love sinners the sinners around me, I can love the sinner that is me. I can see people in the grace of Christ. And I think that when people see how I can love them, they go, wow, God's doing a work there. And it's something glorious. That if people look at us and say, huh, you know, it's like, I don't know why, I'm not even a Christian, but praise God. I don't even know why I've just said that. Because they saw something good and beautiful in your life, the way that you work with, with your coworkers or employees or employers or your family members. It's just like, wow, God's obviously doing a work there. And it's impressive. You're on display. You're on display. That's why God's doing a work. I think of Joni Erickson Tada a paraplegic. It wasn't always a paraplegic. After a bad accident, became a paraplegic. And uh, it's pretty easy to say, God's done a great work in her. God's grace and his glory is on display in her life. Um, I think of uh, Lee Strobel's wife. God's glory was on display in her life. Because Lee Strobel, he wrote this book called uh, Case for Christ. And uh, it was all about his journey to go and disprove Jesus Christ. So this is all false. And all of the evidence ended up saying, you know, I, I can't ignore this. I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ. So he put all of his journalistic you know, work to work, and he becomes a Christian ultimately. But he explains, though, that the most impressive thing was not all of his looking at all the ancient manuscripts, and actually they do actually give a pretty good testimony or a true and accurate testimony to what actually was written, and we can actually have trust in them. And wow, it does seem like Jesus was who he said he was. But the most impressive thing was God's work on display in his wife's life. Because she became a Christian in all that time. And that was the most impressive thing to Lee Strobel. God's work was on display in her life. Powerful story. You know, I think too right now with Russia and Ukraine, um, I hear of these stories of Christians praying, being a witness, Even staying apolitical in some of those places and and being light in a dark place. God on display in their lives. That's the point of all of this. Because again, nobody's going to get saved by no more bombs being dropped and ceasefires. That's not ultimately what saves. Ultimately, the life that matters most is eternal life. And there is a lot of eternal darkness, or like spiritual darkness out there. And, uh, and they, need, uh, they need to see light. How is Christ on display in your life? I know of some absolute beautiful stories of my people at Covenant Church, just God doing some amazing and beautiful things. His work is on display. I know many of you actually. And I know how God is on display. But we should be asking our question uh, the, the question of ourselves. If people look at me, would they say, I am a walking billboard for the glory and the work of God. Is that on display in your life? We need to wrestle with that. Because that's what our lives are for. And if you go to the end of Romans chapter 11, for from him and through him and for him are all things. That includes you. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to end with just this idea that this guy was cast out. He got canceled. And he's out there and he's actually still spiritually lost. He can see, but he's lost in other ways now. And, and we read... Jesus had heard that they cast him out and having found him and then he ends up coming to faith. I think that is so beautiful. Having found him makes me think of the song that is probably most well the most well-known Christian song, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. And our lives are to be on display to show God's work and to sing God's praise. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as a sun, we'll have no less days to display God's work in our lives and sing his praise and when we first begun. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for loving us despite who we are. We thank you. We thank you for speaking to our hearts, our minds through your word. We ask that you Humble us. Humble ourselves before your beauty, your greatness, your will for our lives. And Lord, wherever we are still somewhat blind, we ask that you help us to see. We ask that you continue your process of sanctification in us, the process of making us holy, that more and more we will be a beautiful display of your goodness in us, that we can sing your praise with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.